Okay, stand up on your feet. Stand in front of your chairs. Just put your, put your legs back on your chairs. Sound like a school teacher right now. I'm not. This is proven fact scientifically, okay? I'm just waiting for Jan to come. She's not paying attention. Okay, now when you sit down, sit down and sit nice and straight with your back up. Doesn't that feel good? Great, because it's scientifically proven that you'll remember more if you sit like that. You don't believe me, it's true. You go and read. I bet it says it all over the internet. So it's got to be true. <laughs> hey, um, have we got any entrepreneurs or artists in the room? Couple? Fantastic. It's, um, I'll get Jan to hand these out. There's a great book I read recently. It's called Call to Create by Jordan Rayner. I recommend it to you. It's fantastic. The whole deal is that wherever God's got you and whatever your creative bent is, and if you're an um, entrepreneur, serve God with all your heart, and you'll be amazed what he will open up for you there. That's great. Now, can I get a show of hands? Who was here this morning? Just so I know where I'm going. Well, not many of us, really. A few. Okay, well, I'm staying on the same subject because I really think that God wants to do something on this subject today. And our theme this year is belonging. My scripture for the year is John 15. I'll probably still be in it in five years' time, the speed that I'm going, but that's all right. And um, John 15, see, why I'm, why I'm there around belonging is because I have an absolute conviction that any true sense of belonging starts with our connection with God. It is very, very hard to get a profound sense of belonging and understanding of belonging if we don't have the context of which we're in. The context I am in is that I am a human being living in New Zealand on a planet that God created for his purposes and that he loves me to bits as he loves you to bits. And he's got a plan and a purpose for my life. He's got wonderful things for me to do according to Ephesians chapter 2 and I can outwork those things as I'm journeying with him which is wonderful so I've got this great sense this context of it's my connection with God that actually seats me and my understanding of belonging if you are you know of the persuasion where you think that you just kind of happened and you came from a fish cell and slowly you turned into something a little more slimy and from there you became an ape, and from there one day you woke up and you look just like you do now. Not much difference for some, eh, Mula? And, um, sorry, I just had to give one before I left. I'm going away, and I just had to, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help it. Forgive me, Father. Anyway, if, you, if that's the way you think you got here, your sense of belonging it's not going to be wonderful, is it? Because you really are just saying, look, I was an accident that kind of, of evolution that arrived here. There's no deep sense of purpose. But if your belonging is seated in your relationship with Jesus, it is the great place for it to start. So John chapter 1 reads like this. Chapter 15, sorry, verse 1 reads, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at I am. I am. The I am. It was a statement of, um, of identity. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he was about. 
I am the true grapevine, he said. If you want to go into that further, if you go to the website, www.activatechurches.com, it's on there, or the app, it's on there. But today what I want to look at, and I'm hoping I'm going to get through it, is the second part of verse 1. Oh, lost my place. Second part of verse 1. And my father is the gardener. Doesn't sound like there's too much in there, but there is heaps. My father is the gardener. So first of all, you need to understand a little bit about God. How many gods are there? One. That's right. This is basic Christian theology. Okay? Go to any systematic Christian theology book. This is the, ba- this is the basics. So there is one God, Orthodox Christianity. The Bible teaches us this. Our tradition has helped us pack it in words. But there is one and only one true God. In that one God, we have the Father, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Son. One God, three persons. You know, there's an old hymn, One God, Three Persons, Blessed Trinity. One God, Three Persons. Now, you're probably sitting there, and, and if you're anything like me, you go, how do you get your head around that? My head is starting to pressure. You know, how can you be one and three and three and one? Well, I don't know how you can be one and three and three and one, but here's the deal. Your brain is about three and a half kg, apparently, and, and God is infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing. I had to hold myself back then. All-knowing and all-powerful. And, and you are not going to work God out with your three and a half kg, no matter, uh, no matter how good it is. Ray tried to say this morning that my brain was 500 grams. <laughs> On a good day. On a good day. It's all right. All right, I'm secure. I know who I belong to. So, so, so there's tension. That's the whole thing of our Christi- Christian faith is we're walking in tension all the time. Of like, I've got, I, by faith I understand this, but I can't actually work it out totally because it's just, how can you have three in one? I know there's lots of examples, uh, ice, water, air, and that, but they all break down. But here's the deal. God, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is is the Son, and this Holy Spirit is, sorry, and God is the Father. So the Holy Spirit is God, the Son is God, and the Father is God, okay? But, this is the easiest way to understand, you can find this diagram on the internet, it's all over. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? You okay? Have I lost half of you? You're not looking convinced. Have I lost half of you? No? No? Speak to me. You okay? You're doing all right? Yeah? You all right? So this is basic. This is basic Christian theology. This is the, the God we worship, the triune God, who is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. When we're reading John chapter 1, We're actually reading, uh, sorry, chapter 15. At this point, verse 1, we're reading Jesus talking about his relationship with the Father. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't left out because the Holy Spirit is everywhere. 
and he's part of the equation too. He's not feeling like he's having a bad day and they've pushed him to the side. But it is the son, Jesus, referring to the father. He says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. Good? Good. This is a crazy thought. As he's talking to his disciples, and the Jews at the time believed that God was far off just watching everything unfold, and every now and then, when everything turned pear-shaped, the God of judgment would step in and either fix it or judge the situation. But what Jesus is saying in this statement is quite the opposite. Jesus is introducing the thought, the paradigm, that God is not far off at all. Now, I don't know how you think about God today, but can I tell you, can, can, can I, he's not far off. He's not the God out there we worship, miles away. He is close. He is so close. He is literally in the air that we breathe. The Hebrew word for God is Yahweh. And Yahweh, when they first said it, they said it without the vowels. I think it was just W Y W H thereabouts. And it literally, they say, made the sound of breathing when you went, Yah, Yah, Wah. Well, it's actually Yahvah, that's how you say it. Yah, Wah, Yahvah. Literally, God is in the air we breathe. He is not far away. I don't know what your perception of God is. I don't know when you think God, you think the God out there who's not really interested in being intimately involved with your world, but he is intimately involved in your world. This was the paradigm that Jesus was pre presenting to his disciples, and it would have absolutely blown their minds. What he was saying to them was, the Father is interested in you, but access to the Father comes via the Son. Always has, always will. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross. Because mankind in the Garden of Eden had a real good thing going, and we mucked it up. We broke the connection between God and man. It separated that relationship between God. God had a plan. We call it this plan of redemption. He had a plan to fix the problem. The plan was Jesus. The plan was Jesus coming in the form of a human being, being hung on the cross and dying because a sacrifice was required to pay the price of the, of the sin that had broken the relationship, that Jesus would come, he would hang on a cross, he would die, the Father would raise him from the dead three days later, victorious over sin, victorious over death, and then through Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, we have relationship with the Father. No other way. There is only one way to Father God, and that is through Jesus Christ. This is where some of us come a little unstuck because we know a bit about the Holy Spirit and we, we know about Jesus, but we stop at Jesus. Jesus' intention was never, and, and hear me carefully here. If you hear this wrong, you're going to think I'm saying something on I'm not. Jesus' intention was never that we stop and park solely on him. You see, the Holy Spirit, God Father sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when we interact with him, when he's in our lives, always points us toward Jesus. And then we arrive with Jesus and we talk and we interact and we have a relationship with Jesus. He always steers us to the Father. Always, without fail, because it was Jesus' purpose to restore relationship with the Father. He's talking about all of this in verse 1. 
He's blowing the minds of the disciples. They're going, wow, this is not what we thought. But here's the deal. God, the Father, wants us to call him and to know him as Father. He wants us to know him as Father. Now, I realize that this causes significant issues for some people. Some people have had an absolutely rotten journey with their earthly father. Some people have had a great journey with their earthly father. I'm not going to excuse in any way, shape, or form if your journey with your father, if the, the, the relationship with your father, if the modeling of your father has been horrible, that is horrible. That is horrible. But for a moment, I'm going to ask you if we can just step above that. And I know that some will have absolute justification to try and hold on to it. But I need us to step past that for a little bit. Because here's the deal. Otherwise, we look at God, the Father, and everything we look at him, we're seeing through the filter of our natural father. Even if your relationship with your dad was great, it's still very limited. Because we're talking about a supernatural, all-knowing, um, all-expansive God who is the perfect father. So even the best of our natural fathers are not going to come up to the standard of God's fathering. All right? If you've had a rough journey with your dad, that lens is going to be even more clouded. And so for just a moment, we need to ask that the Holy Spirit would give us the ability, the grace, and I'm asking Holy Spirit, that you would give us, that you would give each person in this room the ability just to remove that filter for a few minutes. That we would be able to look at you without being distorted by our experience of life. I thank you, Father, that you are fully trustworthy, that you will not do anything to hurt any one of us, and that it's your desire that we live completely free in you. So I thank you for that grace in Jesus' name. There's three key words in the second part of this verse. The key words are my, Father, and gardener. We're not going to look at my, but the word my is a huge, huge statement of belonging and a statement of identity. You know, if I go, Dan is my wife, I'm telling you a whole lot in that statement that Jesus is unpacking there. He's saying, my father. The word father is in the New Testament, it's a Greek word, patia. And it literally means father. But Jesus, when he was speaking, would have been speaking Aramaic. And the word he would have used that's been translated into Greek would have been the word Abba, Abba, Father. Now, this is where you hear people talking sometimes, and they talk about Daddy, Daddy God, Papa God. The word Abba has that sense of intimacy about it, has that sense of, of sort of that soft sense about it. But as researchers have looked more into that word, it actually it is more than just that daddy papa type thing. It, it, it has two quite clear sides. It, it is a term that children would use affectionately of their father, but it is also an adult term. The adults would use of their father. 
So it's a term that carries with it a sense of intimacy, and a, but also a sense of respect and a sense of authority. It's, it's all of the above. It's a, it's a powerful word. The next word that's in there is gardener, and that literally means the vine dresser or the keeper of the vine or the husbandman. Let's go back to his father just for a minute. And again, I don't, I don't want you to get stuck here. The role of a natural father, according to Scripture, and this isn't the whole picture, but it's a good picture, is quite clear. A role of a natural father is to provide in First Timothy. It's to instruct, it says in Proverbs. It's to encourage and exhort in First Thessalonians. It's to discipline in Hebrews. And I like this one. In the book of Ephesians, the role of a great father is to love his wife. That's a good one, eh? Because if mum and dad are happy, normally the kids are too. The, the role of a great father is to love his wife. So how does God want us to see him as father? Well, if we go to Psalm 103, he tells us, or we're told, that he is compassionate, he is merciful, he is slow to anger, and he is unfailing in love. Father God, the perfect God, the perfect father, is compassionate, is merciful, is slow to anger, and is unfailing in his love. That already embraces me, and I'm thinking, he is safe. He is safe. He's somewhere, when I make a mess of things, he is someone I can go to. When I'm having a great day, he is someone I can go to. When I've got questions, he is someone I can go to. When I don't get it, he is someone I can go to. In John chapter 20, Jesus said this. He said, don't cling to me. He said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go and find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. My Father, your Father, my Father. This is the way that Father God wants us to see him. In the Old Testament, the word Father when it's relating to God is only used about 15 times. Not a lot through the whole Old Testament. That's the first two thirds of your Bible. Fifteen times. And when it refers, in most cases, it's referring to the father of the community or of the people, of the to God. But only fifteen times. It's quite interesting. So this is again why it had that the, the Jews had that sense of God being far off. And Jesus is totally blowing their paradigm, saying, No, 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 no. My father is the gardener, in other words, my father is close. He's saying, can you get this? My father is close. It's interesting that in the New Testament, on three occasions, the phrase Abba, Father, is used. So in other words, Father, Father. Abba being the Aramaic. Father, Patia, being the Greek. So Father, Father is used, which is really interesting. It kind of gives a connotation of the caregiving side the loving side, the, the nurturing side of Father God, and then at the same time it gives that sense of respect and awe and authority of God, Father, Father. But the main change is Jesus himself. In the first four books of the New Testament, the gospel, he uses the term Father God, Patia, he uses it more than 165 times in four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. More than 165 times where it appears 15 times in the first two-thirds of your Bible, suddenly Jesus introduces this whole new concept about who 
Father God is. Why does he do that? I think he does that because we don't get it. I think he does that because our experience of natural fathers, as hard as they try, as hard as we try, is not going to represent the perfect father. And he's trying to make a point. He's trying to get it really, really clear for us so that we understand. So Jesus is introducing this new way of relating to God. In fact, Jesus teaches us this is the way that we relate to God. Father. Luke chapter 11. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Our Father. That's massive. If that can kind of drop into your spirit, what he's saying, that this God, perfect God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Father wants to be in close, intimate relationship with you. When we address to the point when we address God, he's saying, say our Father. It's massive, massive. So Jesus models this metaphor all the the way through, and then Paul picks up on it. In all Paul's writings, he, he talks about the Father God a lot. He talks about it when we're blessing in Romans and Corinthians. He talks about it in doxologies or praises for God in Romans. He talks about it when we're giving thanksgiving in Corinthians and Thessalonians. He talks about it in prayers and Colossians, exhortations in Ephesians with creeds in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. And then, through all of that, he connects Christ to Father. Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, because I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. You know the Father, you know me. If you know me, you know the Father. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. So when we set our sights on the risen Christ, that is a, a, a picture, a clear picture of what the Father is like. You see, this whole picture, the Holy Spirit always guiding us to the Son. The Son always guides It's all about intimacy with God, intimacy with the Father. It is all about a God who wants to be part of your life, a God who wants to be part of my life, a God who doesn't want us just to turn up at church on a Sunday for an hour and a half and go, hey, God, I'm back. No, he wants us to be, he wants to be involved in every part of our lives. He wants to do the journey with us, the good days, the bad days, when you think you're doing well, when you make a mess of it. He wants to be there. He wants to be part of it. And we call him Abba, Father. It's a beautiful metaphor. The metaphor Father is not a male metaphor. God is spirit. It's talking about what we would consider to be male attributes, but not solely. But don't get caught up in the male-female thing. It's not what it's about. The metaphor likens God to being the perfect father. Vine dresser. It literally means owner of the farm. It's literally what vine dresser in the Greek means. The owner of the farm. And it's beautiful because to call God the father a wine, uh, vine dresser, not a wine dresser, a vine dresser, or a gardener, it, it can mean... Um, gardener or husbandman or vine dresser, but to call God the gardener is the same in connotation as calling him a shepherd. Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. You convinced of that? Didn't sound it. The Lord is my 
shepherd. I will not be in want. What's he say? He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me by still waters. He protects me from my paraphrasing. He protects me from enemies. I'm safe with him. He lays out a meal in front of me, in front of enemies. The same connotations there as the Lord my shepherd are in the vine dresser. See, a vine dresser looks after and remains with the vines, grapevines, for decades. It's not a fleeting thing, not an out and gone, hope they're all right, see them in 10 years' time. No, no, he remains part of the process, hands on. For years, he knows the vine personally because he literally has his hands on the vine. He's working with it, he's working it. He knows that what care is required and what the vine responds to. The vine dresser cares for and he nurtures the vine. He prunes the vine, he fertilizes the vine. He lifts up the branches, ties them up so they'll be fruitful. That's not always comfortable for you and I. I've got a large rosemary bush. I love rosemary, but you can only eat so many roast lambs. I have this huge rosemary bush outside our dining room, and over summer it went and fell everywhere. Still alive, still thriving, but it's squashing the hedge on the grass. And so yesterday I thought I would pick this thing up. I would lift the branches up. What a job, I tell you. What a job, trying to pull it all together to hold it facing skyward. Don't think it was particularly pleasant for the tree. I'm hoping that the plant makes it through. But Jesus knows what it is to lift up the branches so that they can flourish. may not be comfortable for you, but he's doing it for our own good. The vine dresser takes all measures to protect the vine. So in all of this, Jesus' statement, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. Jesus is telling his disciples that the father is intimately connected with the vine. That his skill, his wisdom, his security and his devotion are focused on the vine. Now I don't know what you think, but I think that is an amazing picture of God. It's an amazing picture of a father. It's an amazing picture of one going the extra mile for, our, for love and for our care. And that is his attitude to you, towards you and I. Because Jesus said, his father is my father. That's what he said. If we are connected through him to the vine, in other words, if we're walking in relationship with Jesus Christ, then his father is my father. What's he look like? Well, he's in Jesus and Jesus is in him. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So as we focus on the risen Christ, he deflects us straight away to the father every time. That, and my words won't do it justice, but I'm praying that God is doing something revelatory in your spirit, in your mind right now. Because if we can get hold of that, that actually changes everything. How many young people go off the rails trying to find a sense of identity and belonging? I did. I didn't have a clue who I was. I was trying to discover who I was. I was just trying to discover who I was in all the wrong places. The wrong people. 
But if I had this, and see, I think, I was even just chatting with, with Pastor Ray, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, um, before the meeting, and he's, he's saying, it's not that many years since he's really had a revelation of who Father God is and been able to relate with him. Well, it's not that many years since I've had a revelation of who Father God is, but my goodness, it would have saved me some grief. If you are under 30, I'm saving you some time right now. I'm saving you a tremendous journey if you can settle the fact that God is an intimate Father who wants to be involved in every part of your life. You cannot freak him out, scare him off, or anything else. He wants to be involved. He wants to be involved. And that's the good news of the gospel. Music team can come back if you like. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? The good news is that we broke the relationship. Well, that's not the good news. It's the bad part. We broke the relationship. God put a plan into place to fix it. Jesus. And when we accept Jesus into our world, Romans chapter 10 says, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we believe in our heart that he was raised from dead, from the grave on the third day by the Father, we will be saved. In other words, we will be reconnected with God. It's quite simple, really. He's done it all. All he wants is our confession and our belief. And then we start on the road of discipleship, which is becoming like him, learning about him. Would you like to confess with me? Jesus Christ is Lord. How about, I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. Do it again. I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. How about all of us? I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. Can I ask you to bow your heads just for a moment, please? If you confess that then for the very first time, or maybe you've been away from God for a long, long time, and tonight you've confessed that again for the first time in a very, very long time, can you just give me a quick wave? I just want to congratulate you. Thank you. That's great. Is there anybody else tonight? It is a wonderful thing to do. Moving past father issues can be a really difficult thing. Particularly if you've been treated really, really poorly by your father. But I believe tonight that Jesus wants to set people free to have a relationship with him. Look, I tell you, as a dad, I've tried to be a good dad, but I've made many, many messes of it. If you ask my kids, they'll tell you a few things that I didn't, haven't even thought of that probably left a wound or a scar for them. I can think of many things. You know, I broke Jay's wrist. That's not the ideal thing for a dad to do to his son, is it? It's like... Oops, sorry. He is quite big, and when you wrestle him, you're wrestling for your life. But, you know, I broke his wrist. He hurt himself. He hurt his leg, and I said, oh, you'll be right, pardon up. A week later or 10 days later, Jan takes him to the doctor. Broken leg or broken ankle or something. Oops. Oh, well. No, I tried. You don't get it right all the time. He's okay. I think. <laughs> earthly dads don't get it all the, right all the time 
And some earthly dads are just downright horrible, earthly fathers. But if my job, and I think this is part of my job description as a father, is to get my son's attention off my performance and get their attention on God's performance. Because he is the perfect father, not me. If I can deflect them to God on every occasion, because God is the perfect father. He's got the perfect answers. He is the perfect solution. I want to pray just as we finish. And I want to ask that the revelation of who God is as a perfect father will drop in your spirit, number one. But I also want to pray for you today if your walk with your father has not been ideal. That a healing work of God will take place and that you'll be able to connect with the perfect father at a whole different level. So Father, I lift every person in this room to you. Lord, I'm asking for revelation tonight for every person that you would drop something in our hearts, something in our spirits, and our minds that will explode with a revelation of your goodness, your delight in us, your desire to walk with us. And Father, for those tonight who are struggling with even thinking about the term Father because of their natural experience, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would grace them with the ability to forgive And tonight, Holy Spirit, that you would lift any shame and guilt that they may be carrying, that you would lift that off them right now in Jesus' name. That in a sense, today would be a new start. Those who are carrying weight around the relationship with their father that they shouldn't be carrying, I command that weight to leave in Jesus' name. I command shame to go in Jesus' name. And where there's been restriction tonight, I release a liberty in the Spirit. I release a wholeness by your Spirit. And Father, a glimpse of who you are. That along with our friends here, we can stand tall in the knowledge of who you are, that you are a good, good Father, that you love us like we cannot imagine. And Lord, that we would run to you on the good days and the bad days and any in-between days, that it would become our testimony that you, Father, are our to-go-to place, our to-go-to person, our safe place our safe person, the one who holds all power, yet is so gentle. So Father, I commend every person in this room to you. You know where each one of our, what each one of our state is. And I know that you will be tender with those who need your tenderness. But Lord, I also ask that you'd be strong with those who need your strength. And that you'd be direct 
with those who need to hear you directly. And at the end of the day, it would all culminate in us bringing glory to the Father. In Jesus' name.